Ah, excellent. Excellent. Good to have everybody here. Let's find our seats this morning. All right, man. Good to be here today. Glad you're here with us this morning. We're going to have a good Sunday. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a good Sunday today. God's going to do some good stuff in here this morning. Excited to be with you. I love this week. This is Thanksgiving week, everyone, and my favorite, favorite holiday of the year, and uh, I'm excited about it. A couple quick announcements before we jump into the Word. First announcement is this, is that we have some tags uh, in, the, in the foyer, and, and you, may, you may have seen them when you walked in. It's a, it's a display with some different gift tags on them. What those are is their names of children, foster kids and homeless children that reside within the Orange, uh, Orange Unified School District territory. So these are all kids that are a part of Orange Unified School District. They've been identified as either being foster children or homeless children living on the streets. And so as a church, what we've decided to do is we're coming alongside Orange Unified uh, to sponsor these children. And what we're doing is we're buying them a, a pair of shoes and a jacket in a gift bag. And we're going to distribute those to these children in need through the Orange Unified School District. And so I think we're on the hook for like 160 kids that we're sponsoring. We're the only church in Orange that's participating in this. And uh, which I, I, I love that. I love that we can take care of this need, that we can identify it and take care of it ourselves. And so maybe you say, I want to be a part of that. Just on your way out today, grab one of those gift tags and uh, take care of that child and then bring back those gift bags by December 3rd, by December 3rd. Now, we know a lot of people already grabbed those tags, but if you did not uh, assign that up with Jacob, if you didn't give Jacob your information, that tag is basically, it, 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 that tag, it, it, we don't know where it is. We have no idea. So if you took a tag without, without documenting that with Jacob, please take care of that today so we know who's doing what, amen? So all those bags are, gonna be, are, are due on December 3rd. Sunday, December 3rd, you bring those in and uh, we'll, we'll do that together. I think that's a really, really wonderful project that we're a part of. And I'm proud of our church that we do that and take care of it every single time. Give your yourselves a big round of applause. All right. If you brought an offering or a tithe, this is a great day to do it. It's the week of Thanksgiving. What better way to show the gratitude that we have for God than, 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 than providing a gift to him? And uh, maybe you've brought a tithe. You say, I want to give an offering to the Lord. Uh, you can grab an envelope behind each chair. Uh, you can, you can uh, give electronically. There's so many different ways uh, that we can give here. But we, we do want to say thank you for your giving. Uh, we're, we're so grateful for those of you that on the regular as a regular part of your worship, you honor God with your finances. That's, it's so critical that our church does that. It's so critical. And, and so we're grateful, grateful that you are, are doing that. Amen. Let's jump into the word today. Um, I haven't far, forgot about you, Rich. Uh, let's jump into the word today, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And I want to jump into this. This is the same text that we have been in over the last two weeks. And I really feel like God wants to share something with us today. And, and so in the last couple of Sundays have been in preparation for Thanksgiving. I love this season, because once the calendar turns to November, I feel like I've got to snap into mode, into a mode. I need to snap into some sort of holiday mode. I'm, I'm, I try to hold it back until November, but once November hits, um, I feel like I need to get into a holiday mode. Anybody like me? All right, anybody like me? Come on. I feel like I, I need to be in that spirit. I need to have that Thanksgiving spirit. And I think Thanksgiving in itself should cause some reflection. 
right? It should cause uh, some, some thanksgiving. And normally for me, I'll be honest with you, normally this is not difficult. Normally I don't have any trouble at all. And, um, but this year it's been a little bit different because I've, I've, I've dealt with a little bit of chaos and some confusion coming back from Israel and the war that's happening there and all of the things going on in society has kind of like put a damper on my heart during this season. And so out of, over the last two Sundays, I've tried to minister from that place. I want to be an authentic pastor. I'm not trying to, 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 to you know, I want to be authentic. So I, I try to come to you with what I'm feeling and what, what God's doing inside of me personally. And so in week one, uh, the first Sunday in November, I shared for, out of Genesis where God created everything. And once he created everything, he labeled it. And he said, that is good, it is pleasing, and it is useful. So, so he spoke everything into existence with just a word. And then what he created, he said, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's useful. And then he affirmed and sustained those things. So everything God created, he affirmed and sustained. He kept it going. Then in chapter 2, he creates man, all right? He creates man and he gives man a purpose. He didn't just place us on the planet and leave us to our own devices, no. He gave us a purpose. And the purpose that he gave us is to make sure that everything he created that's within our realm of responsibility remains the way he created it. And so our job is to take everything that we have responsibility for and make sure that it is good, it is pleasing, and it is useful. And our job is to affirm those things and sustain those things. Are you with me today? And so the Lord reminded me of his character as I was putting that first message together towards that, that Sunday morning, I got up and I began to meditate on what I was gonna share that day and, and I was having trouble finding that, that footing. I was having trouble being able to, to get myself in that, that, in that mode because what was around me didn't feel good. It didn't feel pleasing. It didn't feel useful. I felt chaos in my mind. And I felt the Lord lead me to Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares several parables. And, and the first parable that you'll see there is the, the, the parable of the lost coin. And as I, as I began to read and meditate on that, I, be, I began to see God's heart, and God's heart is not to allow something valuable to be lost. And so he lights a lamp, and he sweeps the house in order to find that lost coin. It, it's, it's a picture of God's heart for us. Aren't you grateful that God considers us valuable, all right? But it's also a picture of what we must do in seasons like this. Because if we're not careful, the things that are valuable the things that are good and pleasing and useful, those things can get covered over by the junk of this world. And all of a sudden, before we realize it, we've lost it. And that's kind of the place that, that I found myself. And sometimes, in order to get, that valuable get back to that valuable place, sometimes we also have to light a lamp. And the Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Sometimes we gotta light a lamp in order to see the things that are pleasing and valuable and useful. Sometimes we gotta sweep the house. That, 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 for me, that was the case. I had to sweep aside some of the things that, that, that I was allowing to reside in my heart that shouldn't be there. And I think all of us, we go through seasons like that, that, that we lose sight of what's important. We lose sight of what's valuable. And sometimes what we have to do is we gotta light a lamp, get into, get into the word of God, and sweep the house. Clean out the stuff in our hearts that shouldn't be there. Somebody with me today. 
And so then last week, we went back to Luke 15, because the lost coin is not the only parable in that, in that chapter. But also in that chapter is the story of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one lost sheep. And as we began to look into that parable, we began to identify some of the attributes of God. Aren't you grateful for, for God? I'm grateful for, for God. The, the attributes that we see in that story is that he's a 100% God. That he's all in on you. Did you hear that today? He's all in on you. God loves you so much that he gave all. He's willing to leave everything just to go after you. We, we learn that his love is relentless. That he'll leave the 99 to go after the one. We learn that he's an elevator. You're sitting today in Elevate Ministries. Part of the reason that we named our church that is because that's exactly what God has done with us. Is that when we were down and out, like that lost sheep, we were all dirty, we had made a mistake, bloody, probably, probably been attacked by a coyote out there. We, we're all disheveled and messed up and dirty. When, when the shepherd found us, he didn't kick us. He didn't say, serves you right, you stupid sheep. You should have never left in the first place. That's not our God. That's not what he does. What does the Bible say? He picked up that sheep and placed it on his shoulders. He elevated that sheep. Do you see what I'm saying? Our God is an elevator. Are you with me today? And lastly, we said that he's a celebrator. That he's the God of more joy. A lot of churches you go in, no one's celebrating. No one's laughing, no one's singing, no one's shouting, no one's dancing. That's not true here at Elevate because we celebrate with heaven. The Bible says on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you what's always going on in heaven. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It isn't arguing, complaining, it isn't fear, it isn't lies. What's happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week is celebration. It's, it's going all the time. There is more joy in heaven, amen? And, and that's what we get to experience in our lives. And here's the truth. And when we really look at those, those parables as Jesus said them, the truth is, is that we are the lost coin. We, we are that lost sheep. And so today on this Thanksgiving week, what I wanna do is I wanna look at the third parable in Luke 15, same text, and it's the story of the prodigal son. And I've entitled this message, and Thanksgiving's right in the middle of it, I've entitled it, Prodigal's Thanks, A Giving Father. Thanksgiving, amen. Let's get into it today. Luke 15, verse 11, the Bible said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, somebody say came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I perish with hunger? Now, I wanna stop there, and I wanna minister something that's not a part of this message, but I think it's important. Because as I read this, I began to realize that it was the, it was the, the prosperity of the father's house that brought the prodigal son home. 
I'm going to say that again. It was the prosperity and the blessing of the father's house that brought the prodigal son home. You see, the devil has deceived an entire generation to think that the father's house is a dead house. They've de the devil's deceived an entire generation to think about the house of God as being irrelevant, powerless, full of rules and regulations. They think about the house of God as being broke. They think about it as being dysfunctional. But they don't understand that God's house is a powerhouse. Did you hear that today? It's a place of blessing. The house of God is a place of abundance. That's, that's what it is. And so the prodigal son, he's wasted everything he has. He, he's, he's embarrassed of what he's done. But the Bible says that he begins to think about his father's house and what he, rem what he remembers is all of the servants that they had bread enough to eat and, t and some to spare. And he's, he begins to think, they're not even sons. These are just servants. And these servants are blessed and they're so prosperous that they even have leftovers. And I wanna tell you something today at Elevate Ministries, we're not a church that's afraid to talk about money. But the reason most churches don't talk about money is because of a spirit called mammon. And it's a spirit that says, don't you dare speak about money, don't you dare speak into finance, and, and the reason I know that this is a real thing is because I deal with it all the time. The enemy doesn't want us to talk about money in the church. But, but the truth is, is that 17 of the 37 parables that Jesus spoke involved money to some degree. So Jesus spoke about money a lot. Almost half of his parables involve money to some degree. But mammon wants the church and wants to silence pastors from talking about money. Why? Because the devil wants the gold, he wants the silver, he wants the wealth, he wants the resources. He doesn't want the church or you having it. Are you with me today? And maybe you're thinking here today, well, isn't money the root of all evil? Isn't that somewhere in the Bible? And I would tell you, no, the Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible actually says that the love of money are you hearing me today, is the root of all sorts of evil. And so here at Elevate, we're not afraid to talk about money. We talk about it all the time. And one of the things that we teach is how not to fall in love with money. And maybe you're thinking, well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you not fall in love with money? I'll tell you how. You fall in love with God. You fall more in love with God than you do with money. Because money is something that you use, not something that you love. We don't worship money, we use money, and we worship God, all right? We don't honor money, we use money, and we honor God, all right? We honor God because we understand the purpose of money. But, but the spirit of mammon, what it will try to do, mammon will try to cause money to be your master. And that's why Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon. You'll love the one and hate the other, all right? There's a spirit that, that mammon is a spirit that every one of us, in our lives has to learn to overcome. And so that's why from this pulpit, we're gonna give you biblical principles on how you're supposed to handle money because God doesn't have a problem at all with you having money. Somebody give the Lord some praise for that. Like, like God doesn't stress about that. He, he wants you to have money as long as money doesn't have you. All right? God doesn't have a problem with you having stuff as long as the stuff doesn't have you. And then you're thinking, well, well, what about the rich young ruler? What about the story of the rich young ruler? Didn't Jesus tell him to sell everything that he had and give it to the poor? Didn't Jesus want him to get rid of all of his stuff so he would have nothing? 
I wanna tell you, nowhere in that story does it suggest that this rich young ruler end up with nothing. What Jesus said is I want you to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. What, what, is, what are you doing when you do those things? When you sell everything you have, and you give it to the poor, and you follow Jesus, what you've done is you've dealt with mammon. That's what you do when you deal with mammon. And then, because you've dealt with mammon, Jesus says, then you'll have treasure in heaven. In other words, if you deal with the spirit of mammon, you're gonna end up with treasure. I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're doing. It's, it says treasure in heaven. Let me, let me just tell you, don't get it twisted. Treasure in heaven isn't treasure for heaven. That, that's not what it is. I have my money in Farmers and Merchants Bank, but it's not for Farmers and Merchants Bank. If I ever get a, a, a postcard from Hawaii that says, aloha from your, from your friends at Farmers and Merchants, thank you for your savings, we're gonna have a problem, right? Why? Because, because that money that I placed in the bank is not for Farmers and Merchants. It's just in farmers and merchants. Listen, you don't need money when you get to heaven. You're not gonna need any treasure. You're gonna throw it at Jesus anyways. All right, there's no point to having treasure. Treasure in heaven is not for heaven. Jesus says, I want you to store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because no moth can eat it. No, no rust can destroy it. No thieves can break in and take it. It's in heaven. It's being preserved for here. I thought, I thought you really get excited about that. You're meant to draw from it while you're here. You're meant to draw from that treasure while you're, and let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that as Christians who are making deposits in heaven, listen, it says we're living under an open heaven. Did you hear that today? It's, it's an open heaven. The promise is, is that when you give, you're no longer operating in a system of this world. You're now operating in a system of an open heaven. And God says, test me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings into your lap. That's what the Bible says. Blessings that you won't even have enough room to contain it. Well, well give me an example of that in the Bible. I will. Acts chapter 10. There's a, there's a man named Cornelius. Rich, Rich talked about it on Wednesday night. He was the first Gentile to actually be filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the Holy Ghost. And an angel comes to Peter and says, I want you to go meet with Cornelius. And then an angel appears to Cornelius and says, Peter's gonna come and give you a message. And so Peter shows up to Cornelius and says, listen, Cornelius, you are about to get blessed. You're about to be overwhelmingly blessed, and the reason is you're gonna receive the Holy Spirit, and the reason is you don't deserve it, you're a Gentile, but the reason is God has heard your prayers and he's seen your generosity. And because of your giving in heaven, you're gonna be blessed here on earth. Listen, God has no problem with you having stuff as long as the stuff hasn't gotten a hold of you. You hear me today? This has nothing to do with my sermon, but I'm gonna keep drilling down. So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how do I add eternal life to my rich young ruling? I, I wanna add eternal life to my rich young ruling. Listen, that's the wrong question because you don't add God to anything. That's not how it works. You don't add God to your business. 
You don't, you don't add God to your already full life. That's not how it works. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, somebody say all these things, all these things will be added unto you. So Jesus looks at this rich young ruler and says, you know the commandments. And the rich young ruler looks at him and says, yes, I do. All these commandments I've kept from my youth. And Jesus is like, really? That makes two of us. And he says, he says this. He says, I want you to go. I want you to think about this. He says, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. So why would Jesus tell him to sell everything? I mean, if the whole point was for, for, for this rich young ruler to have nothing, why would Jesus tell him to sell everything? If Jesus wanted him to have nothing, wouldn't it have been easier for him just to give it all away? Would have, wouldn't it have been better? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense for Jesus to say, give it away, give it away, give it away now? Wouldn't it make more sense? Like, why, why would he say, give it all away? I, I think, I think, why would Jesus tell him to sell it? Why would he say, sell it and give the money to the poor? I think the reason is, is Jesus was trying to shift him, was trying to teach him something. He, he says, I want you to sell everything because you think you're rich because of all the possessions that you have. And you've put a price tag on what you've accumulated. But when you sell it, you'll find out it's not worth what you thought it was. Because the moment you dropped it, when you drove it off the lot, it decreased in value. The moment you wore it for the first time, the only way you're getting rid of it is through Poshmark. You know what I'm talking about? That's it. You're gonna have to sell it for half of what you paid for it. And literally everything in your life, are you with me today? Everything in your life is like that. It's something called depreciation. Everything you're wearing, everything you're driving, everything you're owning, it's depreciating. The only thing that appreciates is eternity. The only thing that grows is eternity. And so Jesus is trying to teach this young man that, hey man, you got your priorities wrong. You're, you're, you're getting your value based on what you've accumulated. Listen, I, Jesus is saying, I don't have any problem with you having wealth as long as the wealth doesn't have you. And so what's the antidote, antidote to this? What did Jesus say to this man to help him with this problem? He says, give. The antidote to greed is giving. Because givers can't greed and greeters can't give. So the antidote to greed is giving. And so the reason we talk about giving at this church is not because we're worried about paying the bills. The reason I'm going on this rant right now is not because we don't know how we're gonna make it happen this month. That's not why we're doing it. Giving is not trying to get something from you, it's trying to get something to you. Jesus said this, give and it will be given back. He said, pressed down, shaken together, running over. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so the greatest thing that you can learn to do in your Christian life is give. Give your way into breakthrough. Give your way into increase. And the reason we speak about this is because we care about you. It's because we care about you. Remember in the book of Acts, they quoted Jesus and they said, they quoted Jesus when he said, it's better to give than it is to receive. It's better to give than it is to receive. And I've thought a lot about that over my life. Why is it better? I like to receive. How many like to receive? I like to receive. But Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. And I've thought, and I've come up with different things, like, like well, it's better to be in the position 
that to, to be able to give and not to be in the position where you have to receive. So in that sense, it's better to give than to receive. But I, I thought of something a little bit different. Maybe it's better to give than it is to receive because once you receive, that's the end of the cycle. Once you receive, that's the end of a thing once you receive. But the beginning of a brand new cycle happens when you give. Did anybody hear that today? And this, this messes with us. Like this is jacking with some of you, religious people. All right, it's messing with you. Because, because what you're thinking is, is, shouldn't we give without expecting anything in return? Like I give to the Lord, when I give my tithe, I don't expect anything back. Some of you are thinking that in your mind. Like that, that's pious and holy, and that sounds, that sounds really good. Like you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, God's not some slot machine up in the sky. I don't give so I can get something back. Some of you are thinking that right now. But I'm here to, to, to combat that thinking. Because there isn't a farmer in the world that puts a seed in the ground and says, I'm not expecting a harvest. No farmer does that. And so if you are so holy that you give without expecting anything in return, you might be more holy than God. Congratulations. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And the expectation is that whosoever would believe in him because he gave shall be saved. And so when God gave Jesus into this world and sent him to the cross, God didn't say, I'm giving you my only son, but I'm not expecting anything in return. That's not what God said. God said, I'm gonna give my best, I'm gonna send my, my, my very best seed into the earth in order to receive back the greatest harvest. And so today there are 2.4 billion Christians on the earth. It's increasing every single day. And so the seed that God sowed 2,000 years ago by sending Jesus to the cross is still receiving a harvest of souls. And so if it's good enough for God to give, expecting a return, I think we can break off that religious mindset and give expecting a return as well. Somebody shout amen. All right. The, this, the holiday we celebrate this week is Thanksgiving. It's giving. Giving is so critical. I want you to understand it's so, so critical. Because without giving, I don't think you ever really truly understand the blessings of God. I don't think you'll ever totally get it. Because all the blessings from God, they flow from giving. Don't, don't allow the enemy to trip you up with a spirit of mammon or a, or a wrong religious spirit uh, uh, that holds you in lack. Our Father's house is a house of blessing, of prosperity, of power. It's all linked. It all goes together. All right? That had nothing to do with my message. So let's get into the message. What do you say? Is that all right? All right. So this guy asked, the prodigal asked, so, so how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and here I perish with hunger? So I'm going to arise and go to my father, and I'm gonna say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me, come on, say make me. Make me like one of your hired servants. I love this statement, make me. Write that down, make me. I love, I love this statement because what the prodigal son is saying in this moment is I'm not worthy. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I have no business even being here. Make me. Make me worthy by hiring me as a servant is what he's saying. Make, make me. I, I love that. It's, it's so different than what we see in our society and culture today. Because what we see in society and culture today is, is the attitude of give me. My mom would say, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. 
Welcome back, Pastor Carl and Sister Bonnie, Mom and Dad. We missed you. Missed you so much. But society, society has this entitlement spirit. Have you noticed that? The culture is kind of placing into people this entitlement service, uh, uh, entitlement mentality that says, I deserve this. I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. I deserve a free education. How many know there's nothing free in this world? I deserve a free education. The government owes me. They should pay for my medical. They should pay for this. They should pay for that. They should give me money on top of that because don't they know I'm suffering? I deserve this. But entitlement is the recipe for an offense-filled, never-satisfied, ungrateful, miserable life. Somebody say amen. And so if you live with, with, the, with the mindset that says, I deserve this, that mindset will cause you to never be satisfied. You'll, you'll never be happy. You'll, you'll actually develop an unrealistic approach to everything in your life. And that's exactly how the son started out. Like he had it made. He's living under his father's house. He's entitled to everything there as a son. But he approaches the father and says, give me. Give me what's mine. Give me what belongs to me. And the result of that mindset is he lost everything. But everything changed when the tone of the son and the posture of the son became different. No longer did he say, give me. Now he's saying, make me. He's saying, I'm not worthy, make me. I think it's a great reminder for us that if we can keep our heart in this position, that God, I don't deserve your blessing. God, I don't deserve your goodness. Lord, I don't deserve what you've given me. I don't deserve this family. I don't deserve these things. I don't deserve this job. I'm not qualified, Lord, but, but I worship you because even though I don't deserve it, you've blessed me with it. You, you've loved me with it. Make me more like you. God, make me more like you. I'm not worthy. Make me like you, like you God. I, I look at Carrie all the time, and I, I, I realize I do not deserve to be married to someone as wonderful as her. And if you're around us individually for any length of time, you would, you would tend to agree with, with that statement. I don't deserve, I don't deserve, I don't deserve her. I look, at, I look at the family that God's blessed me with. I, I, don't, I don't deserve the, the, the family that God's given me. I look at my home. I'm gonna drive home today. I'm gonna drive up to it. It's already got Christmas lights on it. It's decorated. Yes, sir, I did it. All right, done before Thanksgiving. Praise God, all right? I look at it and I don't, I look, God, I don't deserve this. I don't, I don't deserve the, the blessings. God, I, I'm incapable of doing this. I'm, I'm incapable, I look at this church and what we're, what we're able to do together as a congregation. And I thank God because I know that every good and perfect gift, it doesn't come from me and my abilities. Every good gift comes from God, the Father of lights. It's his mercy and loving kindness that makes all of this even possible. Are you here with me today? Make me. Come on, say that with me. Make me. Make me. Verse, verse 20. The Bible says that he, he arose and came to his father. And when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to party. The second thing that I notice in this story is what, what, what the father brings out to the son. 
This, you gotta remember, this kid came back stinking. Like he's been hanging out with pigs. He's been, he's been wallowing around in pig slop, all right? He, he, he returned smelling like pig slop. He came back from being out in the world for we don't know how long, but a long time. And what we notice instantly is the father doesn't look at his son that looks much different than the last time they met. The last time they met, this kid looked blessed. He looked put together. He was clean. This time he returns, everything's a mess. He's a mess on legs. He's, his hair is overgrown. He stinks. He's dirty. He's filthy. It had been very easy for the father to look at the mistakes of the son. The evidence of that by his outward appearance, it had been easy for the father to say, you disgust me. How could you think to even walk back in this house? Would you think I was gonna open? I mean, it had been very easy for, for, the, for the father to say that, but that's not, that's not what happened here. That the father actually looked at the son that brought disgrace on the house. He looked at his son who had disgraced the family name. He, he, the father looked at the disgrace of his son and he says, bring out, not the newest robe. He says, bring out, not the fresh robe. He said, bring out the best robe. And see, I think about this story, and I, remember, I, I know that all of us that are saved in this room, we came to God just like that. We came a mess. We came filthy. We had dis disgraced the name. All right, are you with me today? We came broken. We came depraved. We were blasphemers. We were liars. We were thieves. We were fornicators. We had made a mess of our lives, and we came to God a complete mess on legs. And what I love about God is he didn't, he didn't accuse me. He didn't try to condemn me. Instead, he came and he brought the best robe. He brought the best robe. The best robe. When we come to God, we, we come in the same way. He doesn't just give us a new robe or a fresh robe and then say, try harder. That's not our God. He went and took the very best robe. The best robe is the one that was purchased through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when you and I stand before God, we don't stand before God in our own righteousness. Are you hearing me today? The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so the robe that he placed on you is the righteousness of Jesus. Are you with me today? It's not the righteousness of a prophet. It's not the righteousness of a good man or Moses or Elijah. The robe that we wear today is the best robe. There is no robe that is better. It is the robe that is known as the righteousness of God. And here's what that means. What that means is that when you and I walk into heaven, the angel Gabriel and Michael are going to go, whoa, wait a second. That's a son of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, that's, that's a daughter of the king. That, that's, a, that's a child of God. And the reason that they'll be able to know who we are is because of the robe that we're wearing. How do you know that's a son of God? Well, look at the robe. They got the robe. They got the best robe on. Are you with me today? I'm so grateful today for, for Jesus. I'm not worthy, but I said, Lord, make me like you. And instantaneously, he put the best robe of righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. How amazing is that? If that was all God did, it would be enough. But wait, there's more. It says, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. 
place a ring on his hand. And so the father took the signet ring, the family ring, and placed it on the finger of his son. And as he was doing that, he was saying this, my son who squandered all my wealth, my son who disgraced our family name, that made a mockery of our family, that son who wasted everything I gave him on prodigal living, I'm not just cleansing him. I'm not just cleansing him from all unrighteousness and placing the best robe of perfection on him, but I'm also restoring his authority. Because that ring represented the authority of the Father. And so when you and I come to God, not only do we obtain the righteousness of God, but full authority has also been restored into our lives. And so the ring of the Father represents full authority because now the Son, while he had that ring on, could act on behalf of the Father. He could go and speak on behalf of the Father. He could go purchase on behalf of the Father. The ring says, I have the same authority that my Father has. The authority and the credit that my Father has I have it now as represented by this ring. I want to tell you today, you need authority. Not only do you need to be cleansed of unrighteousness, but in the world in which we live, you need authority. Let me tell you why. Because there's powers and there's principalities and there's rulers, there's darkness that seek to resist you. Are you hearing me today? Can I remind you that you and I, we're not meant to coexist with the devil. We're not meant to get along with darkness. We're not meant to keep the peace with darkness. Are you hearing me today? We are here to pull down every principality, every power, every throne, every dominion. We're meant to take every thought captive and make it, make it obedient to, to the knowledge of Christ. You need authority to do that. You need authority to bind and to loose. Did you hear that today? You need authority. When the devil comes and, and brings sickness over your family, you need authority. You need authority. Today, Victor and Darlene are here. Where are you at, Victor? There you are. Victor and Darlene are here. Just a few weeks back, Darlene suffered a, a, a massive kidney failure, like dangerously bad kidney failure. Our prayer team began to pray for her, and miraculously, they released her from the hospital. All right? It's an, it's an, is it amazing? Victor, is it a miracle? It's an absolute miracle. No doubt about it. And so those of you on the, on the team that have prayed, you need, what's that? Okay, and what that tells us, he said, I watched my, my wife go from death to life, and I believe it's the prayer of the saints. So that means that God gave us authority over sickness and disease, and we, we used that authority. We prayed for Darlene. Today, she's sitting in church. Come on, reach your hands. We want complete healing for Darlene. Come on, reach your hands towards her right now. Lord, we thank you for the authority we have over sickness, over death, over disease. We pray for Darlene. We pray for this kidney. That it would function the way you created it to function. In Jesus' name, we, we stand with her. We ask for a complete, total miracle. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. We need authority. Come on, aren't you grateful for the authority that we've been given in Christ? You need authority over the curse. You need authority over poverty. You need authority over lack, over confusion, over fear. You, you need authority if you're, if you're going to be the priest of your home that God's called you to be, men. You, you need authority. You need authority. Listen, heaven's got your back. It's, Jesus says, all authority I give to you. Heaven's got your back. Whatever you bind on earth, the Bible says, will be bound in heaven. That's authority. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. That's authority. 
He says, put a ring on his finger. And then he says this. He says, and put sandals on his feet. He says, put sandals on his feet. You know, he, he, he left that house with sandals. But somewhere along the way, his purpose was derailed. His destiny was derailed. His dreams were lost. When he came back, there are no sandals on his feet. All he's hoping to do is live under his father's house. But the father had different plans for him. And some of us, we came to God like that. We had no dream, no destiny, no, no idea what was gonna be next. We came to God thinking, if I could just kinda stick around, if I could just kinda get better, and God's like, ah, that's not, that's not the plan I have for you. The plan is not that you get better, the plan is that you live your purpose. Because before you were born, I had a dream for you, that dream is still alive. And so guess what, let me put some sandals on your feet and you're gonna begin to walk out your purpose. You're gonna begin to walk through and walk out the destiny of God. God told Joshua, every place where the soles of your feet will tread, it will be yours. Listen, that's a promise not only for Joshua, I'm claiming it for myself. I'm, I'm claiming that for myself. Put on the sandals. Come on, it ain't time to kick up your feet and chill out. It's a time to take ground for Jesus. It's time, to, it's time to walk in the destiny that God has for you. And look what it says next. The father says, bring the fatted calf. He says, bring it on. Let's kill it. Some carne asada. Let's eat and be merry. For this son who was dead is now alive. He was lost and now he was found. And then they began to be merry. And what this says to us today is that God is a celebrator. I said it last week, I'm saying it again today. Maybe you're like me, I grew up thinking that God was mean. Like I grew up thinking that God was waiting for me to make a mistake and he was always angry that his default setting was mad. That God was waiting to strike me with lightning when I make a mistake. That's what I was thinking. Some of you probably grew up that way, that you think God's happy when we're not. You, you think that, that, that maybe that God is, uh, God is smiling when you're crying. That somehow when you're distraught over your sin, that God is somehow satisfied. But here in this text, it describes the God that we serve. And the Bible says that the prodigal came home after making all kinds of mistakes. He, he'd lived wastefully. He'd lived wildly. He squandered everything. He, he'd made a mess of everything the father gave him. But when he came home, he didn't come home to a mad dad. He didn't come home to an angry, vengeful father. The Bible says that when he was a long way off, look at this, look at this text. The Bible says that the father saw him coming and he was filled with love and he was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, he embraced his son and he kissed him. And then he says, I want you to kill the fatted calf. We gotta celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead. He's now been brought back to life, he was lost but now he's found, and the Bible says that the party began. What does that say about God, that he's a celebrator? So I don't understand why, why so many people, they get saved, they become religious, and all of a sudden they start having a problem with celebration. They start having a difficulty with it. You can, you can walk in so many churches today, and most people look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. It's true. Most people are living like they've lost their last best friend but that's not how our God is. Our, our God is calling us to celebrate. He's like, you are worth celebrating. Get in here, get the music on. Let's have a feast, let's party. But so many, so many people end up like the brother in the story, where the Bible says in verse 28 that he was angry and wouldn't go in. He refused to enter into the party. And so the father goes out there and he's like, hey man, come on. This is awesome, we're having a great time. 
And the son looked at the dad and said, this son of yours, I think that's interesting. He didn't even acknowledge him as a brother. He said, this son of yours squandered all your money. He's made a mess. And now he comes back. He doesn't deserve to be celebrated, dad. I deserve to be celebrated. You've never celebrated me. Like, like this, this isn't cool. In verse 31, he said, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But it's right that we celebrate for your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, now he's found. Like, like this is, it's time to celebrate. And I began to think about this. You know, we started this series talking about whatever is good, whatever is pleasing, and whatever is useful. That's what we're gonna affirm and sustain. What, what you celebrate gets repeated. You ever heard that before? What you celebrate gets repeated. And so essentially, whatever, whatever is good, whatever is pleasing and useful, we're meant, we're meant to, to take whatever God's given us, whatever he's placed under our responsibility, we're meant to keep it good, pleasing, and useful. And our job, essentially, is to take what God's given us on earth and make it like heaven. Isn't that right? Like on earth as it is in heaven. You know what's constant in heaven? Rejoicing. You know what's constant in heaven? Celebration. And so we're not gonna be like those people that look like they got baptized in lemon juice. That's never gonna be the story of this church. We're, we're not gonna come to church looking like we've lost our last best friend. No, we're gonna come to the front, we're gonna lift up our hands, we're gonna smile, we're gonna clap, we're gonna shout, and we're gonna sing, all right? We're gonna have fun in the house of the Lord. Sometimes we'll even get a little mischievous to keep you on your toes. All right, why? Because our God is a fun God. He's a fun God. He's a celebratory God. I want you to look at this scripture in Psalm 2. It says, the one who rules in heaven laughs. And that doesn't fit the picture that you have of God sometimes. But God knows everything that's going on in this world. He knows all the chaos, confusion, sin, disruption. God knows about it all. And the Bible says he's laughing about it. He's, he's in heaven laughing about it. In Psalm 30, the Bible says that God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Our God loves to celebrate. He loves to celebrate. The Bible says that just when one sinner, just one sinner comes back to repentance, the Bible says all of heaven erupts in celebration. Why? Because you're worth celebrating. The Bible says that that I tell you there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Just, just when one person, when, when you made the decision to turn your back on the world, all of heaven rejoiced. I began to think about this story. I began to think about how, how, how should we close this down today. And I began to think, and, and it's, it's true, that the only thing the world offers, focus on this, the only thing, the greatest thing that the world can offer you is to send you back into the field to feed swine. I just wanna think about that thought for a minute. The, the greatest thing that the world can promise you is that you'll be able to go back into that field to feed swine. We know that swine, especially in the Bible, is an unclean animal. And so essentially what that's saying is that the only thing that the world can offer you is for you to feed what's unclean. Like that's the greatest thing that you'll ever be able to do. 
That's what the world will promise you, that you'll be able to feed unclean things. And that's why you look around and the world is bound. Bound by what? Bound by feeding unclean things. Feeding an addiction. Feeding bitterness. Feeding hatred. Feeding lust, pornography. Feeding alcoholism. Feeding drug addiction, gambling. Feeding mammon. All of these things are unclean things, but that's all the world can provide. That's the only thing that will allow you to, to grab a hold of, is feeding on these things to try and satisfy what's truly missing. Are you with me today? But when you turn your back on the world and say, I'm going back to my father's house, the Bible says that when you do that, all of the angels in heaven drop their harps. Everyone stops in their tracks. They lay down everything they've got. And because of that simple decision, the Bible says all of heaven begins to rejoice. All of heaven starts to party. Why? Because your life is worth celebrating. Your life's worth celebrating. And when you come to the Father's house, it's amazing what happens. Because you come before him a mess, a mess on legs. Even your best isn't good enough. And so you could say, no, nah, I come to God, I'm pretty good. No, no, even your best is totally unworthy. Yet when you come to the Father's house, he places the robe, the best robe, the robe of righteousness around you. And so no longer do you stand before God, the best version of yourself. But now you stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus. So regardless of all of the mess ups you've had, regardless of everything that you've done, God accepts you, not because of you. God accepts you because of Jesus. That now his righteousness you've obtained. How amazing is that? And then God takes the, the, the ring. He places it on your hand. He says, now you have authority. I didn't place you here on this earth so that you would have to be subject to all of the darkness and all of the, all of the principalities and all of the, all of the, all of the, 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 the problems and the confusion, the chaos of this world. I didn't place you there to be subservient to any of that. Actually, I give you my ring. I place my authority on you. And now you have the same authority that I have. That demons tremble when you come in. Why? Because you represent God. That when you speak, you're speaking the words of God. That when you act, you're acting on behalf of the Lord. That wherever you go, God's with you. And then he says, I'm putting sandals on your feet. That you may, maybe in your life, you feel like, man, the dream is over. I'm never gonna become and do the things that I felt I would do. I'll never accomplish those things. Listen. The Bible says he puts sandals on your feet and those sandals represent your purpose. That before you were born, while you were being knit together in your mother's womb, that God had a plan for your life. He had a dream for your existence. And the sandals he places you are the ability for you to march toward your purpose and march toward your destiny and accomplish everything God has for your life. You see, all this comes when you, when you come to the Father's house. And so many people they just stay on the outside because they're afraid of what others might, might think. Or, or, or they're, they're questioning maybe something they might have to give up. And they never really enter in. The Father's waiting. He's anticipating your return. 
He's anticipating a relationship, a celebration of restoration. That's what he wants to do so desperately, and he's waiting for you. Maybe you're here today. Listen, listen, today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. Today is the day old things can pass away. Everything can start over new. This Thanksgiving could be the most amazing celebration you've ever experienced. I think today is the, is the celebration, the anniversary. My mom gave her life to Jesus 47 years ago on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Is that right? 43. It seems like 47. It feels like 47, Mom. 43 years ago on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, my mom gave her life to Christ. And listen, my mom was pretty good, right? On her own. Like, she was Miss Goody Two-Shoes. Kindergarten teacher, respected in the community. Everybody thought she had it going, going on. Drove around a little Volkswagen Rabbit. License plate Bonnie F. She had all kinds of swag. But, in, but inside, she desperately needed the Father's house. I wanna tell you something, today, that may be you, may represent you today. Maybe you need the Father today. You need the Father's house. God's here to, to touch you. He's anticipating a return. Is there anyone here today who say, I wanna give my life to Jesus all over this room? Side to side, front to back. Come on, lift your hand up. I see that hand. Thank you for that hand. God love you. God loves you. He's gonna to touch you today, man. It's gonna be the best day of your life. Anyone else all over this room say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna come home to the Father's house. Right there, right there. Awesome. What an amazing decision. Anyone else all over this room? Is there a hand right back in here somewhere? Yeah, yeah, over, over here. I'm having trouble with the lights, I'm sorry. Yeah, right here, man, awesome. Anyone else? God's gonna touch you today. It's best Thanksgiving week ever for you, for sure, 100%. Anyone else? Anyone else all over this room? I just feel like I wanna hold on for just a little bit longer, maybe, maybe one other person. Maybe you've been around the church for a long time, but you've never made a decision for Christ. And every time we do something like this, you're like, I should do it, I should do it, I should do it. It's the Holy Spirit nudging you. It's time. Listen, don't let today go by and not respond. God wants to touch you. Anyone else all over this room? You say, that's me. I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. Is there another hand? Yeah, right over here. Thank you for that hand. Right over here. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I told you this was gonna be the best Sunday ever. I told you that when we started this message. It's gonna be the best Sunday ever. God's gonna do some very amazing things right now. Life change. Robe of righteousness. Ring of authority. Sandals of purpose celebration. Come on. Those of you that raise your hands, let's celebrate today. Come down to the front. Let's pray. Come on. All the way back there. Right here. Right here. Come on. Over here. I think there was somebody right back here. Yep. Is there someone in this area? day ever. Like heaven's going, they're just they're on the edge of their seat right now. I'm telling you right now, all of heaven's, the angels are playing right now. They got the harps going, but they're about to throw them all down. Listen, all of heaven's, all of heaven's on the, on the toes of their feet right now because of this decision that you're making today. Every one of us are a prodigal. Every person in this room represents that story Jesus told. I was a prodigal. I was a prodigal. Every one of us, any prodigals in here? No? Any prodigals in here? Say it loud. They're not looking at you. Like, nodding your head doesn't work. Okay. 
we're all prodigals. When we came to Jesus, he restored that, that relationship. And that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna pray, we're gonna ask God to forgive us of our sin. Because what separated us is our sin, right? That's what separated us. We're gonna ask God to forgive us of our sin. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make the statement that we believe that what Jesus did on the cross, shedding his blood, giving his life, is enough to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We're gonna, we're gonna thank him for doing that for us. And we're gonna make a commitment that from this day forward, we're gonna live for him. We're gonna wear that robe. We're gonna walk in that authority with that ring. And we're gonna move toward our purpose, amen? So why don't you pray this prayer with me? You guys ready? Say, Lord Jesus, on this Thanksgiving week, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I've made a lot of mistakes. I won't say it. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done things I'm not proud of. But today, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. That you shed your blood to give me righteousness. I believe you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. I ask you to come inside of my life today and change me. I make a decision that from this day forward, I'm living for you. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna walk for you. I'm gonna live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I thank you for these wonderful decisions. Lord, each of these wonderful people that you love, I thank you, Lord, that they've come home. I thank you today, Lord Jesus, that right now, Lord, when you see them, they, you no longer see their mistakes. You no longer see their failure. But today, you see the righteousness of Jesus because a robe, the best robe, has been placed over them. I thank you today that now they have authority. Lord, that they can speak your words, God. That they can speak your words with power. Lord, that you've given them authority over sin, over temptation, over the enemy and his lies. God, we thank you for that, Lord. Help them to walk in that with courage, Lord. And I thank you for the sandals you've placed on their feet, God, to carry them to the dream you've had for them before they were born. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, or oh, a special touch over their lives. Lord, that they'll never be the same. This Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving would be the best, the first of many, Lord, with you at the helm of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. Can we celebrate like heaven does? That, that may require you getting on your feet a little bit. Can we celebrate like heaven does? Come on, what a, what a tremendous, tremendous decision. God, we thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Come on. Can you sing It Only Gets Better? Mom, it's been 43 years, but it only gets better. Isn't that right? It only gets better. It only gets better.
Come on, lift your hands up all over this room. Come on, say, make me. Make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. You know, Satan likes to point out all of our mistakes, right? He likes to point out all of the ways that we fail and come up short. Lord, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. We fail all the time. Lord, but help us to have the heart of the prodigal. Lord, let our heart and posture be make me. Make me like you. Make me more like you. Come on, would you make that your prayer? God, make me more like you. Come on, all over this room. Just, just, for, a little, just for a moment. All over this room. Would you pray to the Lord? Would you say, God, make me like you. Make me like you. Make me more like you. I don't deserve these blessings. Lord, but you give them to me. Lord, I don't deserve it, Lord, but you've granted me. Lord, I thank you for it, Lord. Lord, make me more like you in the areas where I struggle, in the areas where I'm weak. God, make me more like you. Help me to realize that I wear every single day the robe of righteousness, the best robe. Help me to understand the authority that I have in you. Lord, let me not settle for anything less than what you've given me. Help me not to settle for the lie of the enemy that try to hold me back. Lord, but help me to realize the authority I have and let me walk in it. Let me walk in that. In Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for the sandals of my purpose. Lord, that you've got a plan for my life, a destiny yet to unfold. Lord, let me walk it out. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. We got so much to be thankful for, don't we? So much to be thankful for. A prodigal's thanks and a giving father. You guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We love you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of the day. God bless you.